Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. When Jesus rose from the dead, them seeing him in that context What could stop them then? Like they were afraid before, but like seeing Jesus risen from the dead in front of you, like, and this is why afterwards, afterwards, when people would threaten them, they're like, okay. Oh, you're going to beat us. Oh, you're going to kill us. Oh, bring it, bring it on, bring it on. I want us to approach following Jesus like that. He rules the world with truth and grace. So what is there that we should be afraid of? There's nothing. There's nothing. One of the things that knits our heart to Christ in that way. Again, if you're a Jesus follower, you know that Jesus rose from the dead, but there's there's kind of like this separation between us and Christ relationally, uh, viscerally, emotionally. There's a separation between us and him. Um, And it's, it's in our heads, but it's not in our hearts. My wife and um, my friend Penny have been leading this Bible study uh, about the armor of God. And as part of that, it was talking about this idea that when you pair gratitude, when you're thankful, it activates peace. When you're thankful and you have gratitude, it activates peace. But also when, you, when you're thankful and you have gratitude, it activates peace, but it activates this, this kind of satisfaction. It activates this kind of realization about the, the connectedness to the thing, person or one you're being thankful for. It, it, it knits you together. So the more you work in your mind and your heart to be thankful, it knits you, it knits you to that, that thing or that person that you're being thankful for. And so I wondered, I wondered if today it might be appropriate for us to spend some time just being thankful. Thankful for certainly the resurrection. Thank, th- thankful for that Jesus Christ came. Thankful for that he rose from the dead. Thankful that he showed up for us. Thankful that we're going to be free. Thankful that we're going to have new bodies. Thankful that one day beyond all of this, we're, there's going to be a, and they lived happily ever after. Thankful for all of those things, but then thankful for, I, I love to say, I love to say this idea. If Jesus came and died on the cross for us and rose from the dead, he already did enough, right? Even if he never gave me one other thing, he already did enough. But he is extravagantly generous beyond that. We're going to take a few minutes and just thank God. I, I, I'd love for you just to pray. And in your prayer, not asking for anything, not, not, nothing else but, God, thank you for, thank you for, thank you for, so thank you, thankful, thankful, thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for paying for my sins. Thankful, thank you for my daughter. Thank you for my son. Thank you for my house. And just spend the whole time 
that. I want you to to pray that prayer on your own. And then after that, uh, my friend uh, Penny is going to come and share a few few of hers that she came up with. But I'm praying that our thankfulness this morning will knit our hearts to him and that we'll be even more grateful that we worship a Lord who is alive. Let's do that now. tell you about um, some people that I'm thankful for, and I am telling you about the time that I actually accepted Jesus as my Savior as well. Um, So I'm thankful for my mom and dad, who always took me to church every Sunday, and they were very active in the church, so they were setting a good example for me. Um, My mom played the piano and helped with the choir, and my dad later became an elder, And um, I did some really fun things with him as a daughter, going to the hospital and visiting um, with him when he was an elder. Um, When I was nine years old, 
a missionary came to our church who was um, a missionary to men who were in prison. And he said, he described these people, these men, as um, he told about their crimes, he told about how angry they were, how bitter they were, the broken relationships that they had. And then he said, I told him about how God loved them and how Jesus um, died for their sins so that they could be forgiven. And when um, the missionary was speaking, he then told about two men who had, um, who believed what um, this missionary was saying and they wanted to accept Jesus as their savior and they wanted to be forgiven. And the missionary then told us as a church, he said, these men became happy. They had joy. They had peace. They had a desire to um, reconcile relationships. And so as a nine-year-old, I'm sitting there going, I believe in God, but I've never actually accepted Jesus as my savior. I knew that I had sinned, and among the sins that I had committed, I knew I had lied. I knew I had um, stolen a pack of gum from the store. I also had been mean to my brothers. Um, And I knew that I wanted that changed life that the prisoners had experienced as they received Jesus as their Savior. I wanted to have the forgiveness. I wanted God to change my life. Um, So I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And it just was um, a peaceful time. I had peace with God because I was forgiven. And I'm thankful that he also provided a relationship that I could have with him throughout a lifetime. So from nine years ago, 49 years later, here I am. And I've gone through lots of life. Um, But I want to say at the beginning, I had that peace. I had forgiveness. Um, I felt accepted by God. And I had a desire to read my Bible more and more every day. So even at age nine, that was where I was. Um, I'm going to tell you a few things that God has worked through with me through life um, so that he would show me how uh, to have peace in a relationship with him. Um, So some of the difficult times were my brother committed suicide when he was 21. Um, I had difficulty getting pregnant. My firstborn was born 11 weeks early. Um, My husband had some medical issues and almost died in 2016. Um, And the peace of God was me walking through those times with him, in relationship with him, talking to him. Not always feeling peaceful, but as I leaned into him, I had peace. Um, Some of the blessings that God has brought me through, um, he brought me through going to three different colleges and finding friends at each college, finding Christian fellowship at each college, Um, the the process of going through PT school or getting accepted into PT school was a little bit nerve-wracking because not everyone gets accepted. So that process. Um, In the process of college, uh, I found, I met Rex and was was married to my husband. (laughs) And um, we've had three children. We bought a farmland and a house, uh, an old farmhouse. So all of those things, God has given me peace and walked through the journey. Um, We've been doing the Armor of God Bible study by Priscilla Shirer, and she told a story about a friend of hers who wanted to go skydiving at age 50. She did this, um, had this experience, and Priscilla said, I was so proud of her that she had this experience, and this is what she wrote. Um, 
My friend told me all about this experience, the blood-rushing, energy-charged descent of the initial freefall, and then the serene, steady drop after the parachute had been opened. She also told me how, more than anything, she was thankful for the instructor. She hadn't left him behind in the plane. She'd jumped out of. No way. He was strapped to her back. No matter how fast she was falling through the air, no matter how rapidly the approaching ground seemed to be nearing, no matter how loud and intimidating the air in the atmosphere sounded as it whipped through her hair, she felt safe and assured and could even smile right there in the middle of the sky. Why? Because she was safely tethered to someone who knew exactly what he was doing. This, in essence, is an accurate portrait of peace. It is our God guiding us, keeping us steady, assured, unwavering, even capable of smiling when everything in your environment says you should be screaming for dear life. And I want to just say I'm thankful for the relationship that God has given me because um, that's how I feel. I'm sure I've screamed for dear life lots of times, but I'm tethered to God and I'm grateful for that relationship. Mm, great job. Great job. The, the, I'd, I'd love for you to use this tool of thankfulness in your life to connect yourself to Christ. Um, and, and, and again, listen to me on this. Uh, when you are watching, if you're watching a game, um, or you're, you're you're watching a game, whether it's in person or the more connected you are to the people who are playing, the more excited you'll be if they win, right? Like sometimes, you know, I'll be watching a game and my wife, I'll be excited, and my wife will come by and she'll be like, she hasn't been any investment. She's just like. But sometimes she watches with me and she has more investment. And so when the, the team that we're rooting for wins, we're like, yeah, yes, and high fives and excited. The, the more invested you are and connected you are to a team, when they win, the more excitement you might feel. Gratefulness knits your hearts to Christ. So when he wins, when you read, he's risen from the dead, you could be like, oh, yes, I understand what that means for me and for him. We win happily ever after. Yes. And, and, and clearly, clearly, I've confessed to you guys this, you know, this before. Sometimes, you know, I'm sure this is happen to some of you. Sometimes, you know, I'll be somewhere randomly or I'll be visiting a church and someone will be getting baptized. And when they get baptized, I think, okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. Right. I, I don't know them. And so I'm like, oh yeah, but what's happening right there is that is, that's, that, that's something worth more than that. That's and you certainly know Jesus Christ is up there. Man, this is, this is it. Yes. Christ 
is risen from the dead and that makes all of this possible and anything, everything that you face here, the Bible says all the most ridiculous, terrible, awful things we face here. I was talking to my son about this. He said, don't say that, but I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) Slavery in this country. People who are slaves in this country, when they get to heaven and they're facing heaven, they're like, that's slavery stuff. That was nothing. The terrible things I faced on earth was nothing compared to what I am enjoying here in heaven. That sounds like crazy talk. Unless you know who I'm talking about. At the heart of thankfulness, the heart of thankfulness activates peace and joy. The heart of thankfulness activates peace and joy. And you can think of a time when you were not thankful for what your parents did for you in your life and what that did to your relationship. The heart of thankfulness activates peace and joy, though. And even if Christ did nothing else for us but die on the cross and rise from the dead, that would be enough. He has risen from the dead for us and done so much more and done so much more. So my son, uh, Dakota, and I uh, shared something with me uh, that he read this week by a pastor named David Paul Tripp. Um, and the, the point that was being made is, is that, you know, we forget to celebrate the resurrection. If we forget to celebrate the resurrection, we are left with Christless Christianity. If, if we like celebrate, you know, the resurrection, that's Christless Christianity. Uh, we, we are left with a religious system of rules and theology and none of that's any good. None of that's any good. Um, resurrection means that we are not just following rules and the theology of someone who is dead. Uh, it, it, we're, not, we're, not, we're not just supposed to follow uh, the wise words and selfless lifestyle of Jesus. Uh, you know, it's, uh, th- th- that's nice. This is what our culture loves about Jesus. Jesus is super nice and he says the right things and all the, and they want that part about Jesus. But we're not about that. Jesus follows, we're not about that. That's not enough for us. That's not enough for us. Many people believe that Martin Luther King Jr. was one of the greatest leaders the world's ever known. Uh, super great, super great. Maybe that's true, maybe that's true. And there are some people who knew Dr. King while he was alive, who still are still alive today. And maybe they would say that too. They would say that too. Um, they had a, those, those people, many of those people had a personal relationship with him. They knew him. They knew him. And they tell us he's a great man. And I think that's great. I think that's awesome. That's wonderful. Um, we have to take their word for it, right? Because the opportunity to know him in a personal relationship, that's gone. You can't, that's, that, we won't, we don't, we're not going to have that. That has, that, that ship has sailed. You can follow his ideology. You can, you can be all about peaceful protest. Um, you can be all about responding to, uh, to hate with love. All those things are good. You can do that. You can follow his rules for life, but you cannot know him on this earth. You cannot know him. Resurrection means that those who are in Christ can know him personally. And that, 
I'm often trying to communicate to people who, who are wrestling with their faith, who are skeptical about their faith, or skeptical about God. They're always talk to, talking to me about theology and rules. I'm like, we can talk all about that all you want, but if you never get to a personal relationship with Jesus, then this means nothing. It means nothing. This is what makes all of this infinitely better than just being religious. I know him. I know him. And he knows me. And that is the gift of resurrection. That is what leads people to say, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive his gift. Let every heart prepare room for him. He is alive. He is alive. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all wrote these historical accounts of Jesus' life. And I'd love for you, I'd love for you, sometimes people get caught up with this, I'd love for you to not think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as like part of the Bible. I'd love for you to think of them as historical documents that that are articulating, this is what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. And if what they're saying is true, then we have a reason to believe that every one of them, every, they've, they've got, when you read them, they have different perspectives. But you know what every one of them says? Every one of them says, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. All throughout those records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, we see that Jesus has this special, a pretty special relationship with a woman named Mary. And the Bible doesn't say um, that it was a romantic relationship, but um, it was a relationship that, that was more than just a buddy. Um, it was, it seemed, it seemed like a pretty intense relationship. Um, and he was the air she breathed. He was, he was the food she ate. He was, he was everything to her. He was everything to her. Jesus had healed her of being tormented by demons. Um, so she, there's one context where she pours oil on Jesus's feet and wipes, um, his feet with her hair. Um, have you ever done that to one of your friends? This relationship is, is different than, oh, we're just friends. This is something. She, she's standing at the cross when Jesus is dying, probably with his blood on her face. And, she's, and, and she's the first one, the first one that Jesus shows himself to when he rises from the dead. Why is that? Why is that? Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white. She didn't realize that there were angels seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. <clears throat> Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Um, and again, 
when I read this to you, is so understated. It's so incredibly, it's incredibly understated. It, it is, you've lost everything, and then in a moment, you got it all back. In a moment, you got it all back. What do you think happened in between verse 16 and 17? What do you think happened in between verse 16 and 17? Because there's something that, there, that, that, um, that uh, there's something they got to be leaving out here. She, Jesus says, Jesus calls her name, and then the next sentence is, don't hold on to me. Whatever, I mean, maybe it was just a private moment between Mary and Jesus, you know, we don't want to say what happened, but this, whatever happened, I'd like to see, I want to see a video of it. <laughs> I want to know what it's, in my mind, what I imagine happening is me watching March Madness and the team I want to win, they hit a three at the last moment to win the game and the, the whole crowd burst onto the floor. That feeling, that thing happened in between verse 16 and 17. And I'm guessing you've had this unique relationship with Jesus. You watched him die a ridiculous death. You're sure he's dead. You are sure he is dead. So much so, you can see angels and Jesus, and it still won't convince you he's alive. And then three days later, you're sitting at his tomb, crying your eyes out. Maybe there's something in your life that happened where you've cried your eyes out, for real. Crying your eyes out. You think somebody's moved the body and then he calls your name. And after that, Jesus says, don't hold on to me because I haven't gone to the father. What do you think happened in between Jesus calling her name and Jesus saying, don't hold on to me? I've shared this painting with several of you before, but I think it's relevant for today. I think it gives us a good idea about what might have happened between verse 16 and 17. Go ahead, put that up there, Silver. That. That. I would bet that's what's happening. Like all those video, videos you've seen of, of people from armed forces coming home and seeing their family in that first moment, like that. And I bet like when she's, when she's hugging him, Jesus is like, oh, don't hold on to me. Like, ah, you're alive. Jesus was holding him with all her might. And I can, I imagine that maybe it was like how, how some of us will feel or be or do when we get to heaven and see Jesus first time for the face, of, face to face for the first time. And I bet Jesus allows it to go on for a little bit because it's a beautiful moment. And then Jesus says something odd. He says, don't hold on to me. Don't hold on to me. So Bible nerds talk about this, that phrase for all, you know, a whole bunch. Um, and they think a lot about what Jesus meant when he said here. But author Tim Keller says something that I think is, is probably true. That, that when Jesus is holding Mary, I mean, when Mary is holding Jesus, they're holding each other. It's a great moment. Um, and Jesus, Jesus is back. Um, and if it was me, what I would be thinking, if I was Mary, I'd say, okay, awesome. You're back. Things can continue as they were before, Right. Like, that's, that's what, what she was thinking is, Jesus is alive. I'm, everything can go back to the way it was. Everything can go back to the way it was. And then Jesus says, listen, don't hold on to me. 
haven't ascended to the Father yet. What's going to happen when Jesus ascends to the Father? What's going to happen? Jesus says, don't hold on me. I haven't ascended to the Father. What's going to happen when you ascend to the Father, Jesus? Um, Before Jesus died, he told us. Before he dies, Jesus tells his closest followers, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to ascend to the Father. And when I do, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I said to you. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you will be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Jesus ascends to the Father and he sends the Holy Spirit. So often Christians, as Jesus followers, we talk about, I'm going to invite Jesus into my heart or Jesus lives with me in my heart. And and, and there's an aspect of that that's true. But what's really, what's actually true is that the Holy Spirit as a representation of Jesus Christ lives in us. That's that's, That's the Godhead that lives in us. That's the Godhead that lives in us. So, So Jesus, what Jesus is telling Mary is this. What Jesus is telling Mary is this. And I think this is powerful. Mary. This relationship that we have is pretty amazing. It's pretty powerful. But if I ascend to the Father, then this relationship that we have, it can be for Daryl 2,000 years from now. It can, it, it can be for, for every person. Like right now, I'm here in this body and, and I'm... I'm I'm limited in who I can have a relationship like this with. But if I ascend to the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And then every person who follows me can have a relationship like this. Everyone. I'm not going to stay here like I was before. And when I go to the Father, every person who has this relationship can have it. On earth, Jesus is limited by time and space and a body. But when he goes to the Father, the Holy Spirit is sent. And all of us forever can have that kind of relationship. Every one of us can know him like she did and better and better. Resurrection means, resurrection means that Jesus doesn't just have to pick and choose 12 disciples. Every one of us can be his disciple. Every one of us can have a soul satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ. And he can change our lives just as powerfully as he changed their lives. And he can be our bread of life just as much as he was Mary's bread of life. Joy to the world. The, 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 the Lord has come. Let earth receive their king. Let every heart prepare room for him. All of the things that we want most desperately are true because of Jesus Christ. And because he said, I'm going to ascend to the Father and send the Holy Spirit to you. And then. This is what I was talking about last week. Where I wanted us to make room in our hearts for him so that we could celebrate Easter. Uh, and we, we, talked about the, we talked about the idea that when, when, we, when we put something else in our hearts, it'll consume us. When you put some, something other than Christ in your heart, it'll consume you. It'll consume you. Little by little. But if we put Christ there, we become the best version of ourselves and he becomes our bread of life. 
So Pastor Paul David Tripp talks about this, reminding us that God uses uh, the picture of physical food to point us to the fact that in our lives, we are hungry for something to fill us. We are desperate for something to fill us. And that's been the message uh, these last several weeks. That's been the message that I've been sharing with you. That's, been, that's the message of the whole Bible when you go back and look at it. In, um, in ancient Israel's history, God rescued people from slavery and led, the, led them into the desert, um, in the middle of the desert where there's no food or no water to test them. And when they get there, they complain that there's no food. Why don't you think about that for a second? You are living in slavery. I come to save you from slavery and then take you out there. And then when I get you out there, you're like, oh, I want to go back there. I, you shouldn't even. Here's what this would be like. Here's what this would, let's let's bring, it, bring it forward to right now. Um, that would be like if I had an important family emergency, uh, a family gathering um, in Colorado. My mom's side of the family live in Colorado. So if I had an important family gathering in Colorado that I wasn't going to be able to go to because it was too expensive and you volunteered to drive me out there. It's like 17 hours to Denver. Um, it, it's, 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 it's quite a commitment. It's not a casual commitment. And then halfway there, halfway, halfway to Denver, I start complaining that uh, I shouldn't have come. I shouldn't have come because I'm super hungry now and I've got a whole bunch of food back home. I shouldn't have come with you. That would be idiotic. That would be stupid because all, all I have to do is say, hey, could we stop and get... But if I complained instead, you would be like, why are you complaining? I, just, I gave up all this time to drive you... God took them out into the desert to test them and all they had to do was say, hey, God... Is there any way, we're out here in the desert, we don't have any food. God was using food to say, I want to be your food. Ooh, good catch, right? God was saying, I want to be your food. I want to be the thing that makes you live. Instead, they complain that there is no food. Have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed that, in, uh, that complaining kills intimacy? Like, you're on vacation with, with your family and some of them are complaining. Kills it, kills it, kills it. I'm not getting what I want. I demand that you do something about it. So many of us have a relationship with God like this. Um, God's not doing what we want. And so God wants to move us to that kind of, from, from that kind of relationship to the kind where that Mary and Jesus have, where her relationship with him is everything. He is her food. He is her life, her breath. In Exodus 16, God says, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven because you guys are complainers. Um, and God says, I, I, I want you to gather up only enough for one day, though. I'm going to rain down bread from heaven, but only gather up what you need for one day. Don't try and store up more for later. Only take what you need for, for this day. And I'll provide what you need the next day. Why daily? Why daily? Like, if, if this is just about giving them food, then why, why daily? What's he, what's, what's he trying to do? Wouldn't it be more efficient to just give it all and then I can just go out there one day and get it all and then bring it back and store it for later? Why does it have to be daily? Because God wants to be their bread of life. 
God wants to be their bread of life, like Jesus was to Mary. So many years later, many years later, after the events of God providing bread from heaven, Israel's leader, Moses, is reminding them to be thankful for how God had taken care of them in the past. Be thankful. Knit your heart with them. He reminds them of the bread, of the bread from heaven. And Moses says this, he says, you guys, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you, to teach you this. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Recently, I was at a family reunion. I was talking to some of my cousins and they were kind of barely listening to me. And then my grandmother got up to spoke and they walked away from me and, and they hung on her every word. I did this to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In this story, God uses hunger to get people's attention to alert them to something far more important than hunger. When you're hungry, what's more important than food though, right? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing for us, right? (laughs) When I'm hungry, ain't nothing more important than food. God's God's using hunger to point out that their souls hunger to be filled more than their bellies. And I want you to think about this. All throughout, when you read, if you go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all throughout Jesus' ministry, he refers back to this story over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. When the devil tempts Jesus to provide bread for himself when Jesus is out in the desert, Jesus responds by saying, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Referencing this story. Jesus quotes the story of God providing bread to battle the devil. When Jesus' disciples see the effectiveness of Jesus' prayers and and how he prays differently than all the religious leaders they've ever known, they they, they say to him, Jesus, teach us to pray. And when he he teaches them to pray, he he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Huh. Why didn't, why didn't Jesus just say, when you pray, God, give us bread? It's because he wants to call their attention back to Exodus 16, where God rained down bread from heaven, daily bread, one day at a time. Not because God's stingy, but because he wants people to learn that Jesus' followers learn to be desperate for God like our bodies are desperate for food. On two separate occasions, Jesus is surrounded by thousands of people, 4,000 one time, 5,000 on another, um, at least, at least that many. And on, on, after teaching them about the kingdom of God, the people are getting hungry. And Jesus feeds both groups with, with little, little to no food, very, very little food. It's a miracle. He feeds, he feeds thousands and thousands of people with almost no food. On both occasions, everyone eats what they want and they're satisfied and there's leftovers. 
Jesus does this miracle and there's leftovers. Like, wouldn't it, what, what, have you ever considered, why are there leftovers? What, what's the message that Jesus is trying to give to everyone, everyone there and all of us who read, when he does this miracle that he feeds everybody and then there's leftovers? What's he trying to say? He's trying to say, I'm the bread of life. Eat all you want and there will still be more. I'm the bread of life. Eat till you're filled. Eat till you're satisfied and there will still be more. The miracle is a statement about himself. After he feeds the people the second time, he says this to them. I'm the bread of life. I'm enough to satisfy you and there will be leftovers. And and, and that means he is more than enough. He is more than enough. I'd love for you to believe that because it's true. He's more than enough. And that means, and that only makes sense. That only can be true is if he isn't dead, if he is alive. How can he be the bread of life for me if he's dead? When Mary goes to the tomb that day, she she wasn't expecting to be able to continue her relationship with Jesus. That would be weird. He's dead. That would be creepy. That would be creepy and weird for her to try to carry on a relationship with a dead person. Um, Some of you guys, maybe maybe you've seen this before. In the the music video, Last Dance with Mary Jane by Tom Petty, uh, the artist Tom Petty, uh, he carries on this relationship with a dead body. and the video isn't that creepy, really, but it's just gross. It's, 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 a, it's a gross idea of, of, of someone who's alive carrying on a relationship with a dead person. Christianity, following Jesus, isn't built around a good teacher and a wise prophet who died 2,000 years ago. It isn't built around this nice guy who did lots of good things and was martyred 2,000 years ago and never came back. It's built around a relationship with someone who wants to be your bread of life. And he calls your name and he wants you to respond to him like Mary did because he is that important to you. Christianity makes no sense if we're carrying on a relationship with a dead person. It's just as weird and creepy as Tom Petty. It it, it doesn't make any sense. But if Jesus is alive, today I want you to allow the resurrected Jesus to be that for you, the bread of life, the bread of your life, to be that for you. I want to invite you into participation in something that we call communion. So we're going to eat some bread, which represents the flesh uh, the, the body of Christ and drink some grape juice, which represents his blood. And as we continue to consume those things, uh, allow that to be your way of consuming Jesus, of making him your, the, the air you breathe, the, the, the bread you eat, that, that he is it for you. All of it. I want him to become my bread of life, your bread of life. If you've never made Jesus your bread of life, um, you've never admitted that you're a sinner um, and you, you would like that to happen, then I invite you to come talk with me. 
Come talk with, talk with me, talk with Penny. Um, and, and we'd love to talk with you together about how that can happen. We want to invite you into being baptized into the family of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, to begin a relationship with, the, with a Savior who is very much alive. Who is very much alive. I'm going to pray for you uh, in just a moment. Before I do, though, let me, sit and let me just say this. Because of sin in this world, you and I are drawn to making something else our bread of life. Something else. I don't know what it is for you, but you, we are drawn to making something else other than Jesus our bread of life. When we do that, when we do that, it will consume you. If it hasn't yet, just wait. It will consume you. It will get you. The reason why I'm inviting you now to make, you, make him your bread of life is to save you from that. Save you from that. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.